0: Hi everyone, welcome to The Raw Show with Michael McDonald and I have a very special guest. We have Chris Brown joining me today. Chris, thanks for joining me on the show.
1: You're very welcome, my man.
0: So for, for the listeners that don't know that much about you, Chris, would you be able to tell people who you are and, and what you do?
1: Yeah, so we help um, coaches, consultants, service providers grow and scale their company using online traffic, paid traffic and automated funnels that bring leads into their calendar day by day by day.
0: All right, cool. So, so for, for people that, that, might need to, that, that might need to or want to know a little bit more about you, uh, the first question is always about your background. So, would you be able to share with me and our listeners where you were born and what it was like for you growing up?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a small town called Washington in the northeast of England. Um, yeah, pretty small place. If you ever drawn, drove on the A1, you'll go through it on the way to Newcastle. All right. Well, basically, Yeah, there's a big service station there. So, (laughs) yeah, we basically, I grew up in a fairly nice place, a cul-de-sac modern area. Uh, Went to school in a pretty rough place. My school was pretty rough at the time. Uh, Spent majority of my childhood playing football. I could love that. That was my dream for a long time. And that led me to coaching at about 15 years old. And I'd always been like a captain or like, a leader within sport all of the time. And when I was 15, I got the opportunity to do my FAA level one, like football coaching, started coaching younger kids. And that was really like my first introduction to coaching. So I guess I've been a coach most of my life, like even as a kid, I'd always be that person who would like try and negotiate and solve problems for people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so been coaching since I was like 15, at the age of about... I well, 16, went to, went to college. After that, decided to sack education off, went to work in Nissan factory for like two years. Uh, after that, I got real bored and decided to go back to uni and did a sports, uh, sports coaching for performance and participation. And then after that, I moved down to uh, the world, which is just near Liverpool and started my personal training journey. And that's kind of, yeah, just like really being in coaching the majority of my life.
0: Yeah. It it definitely seems that way, Chris. I mean, why why did you decide to to go and work for Nissan? Was it a particular moment? Was it just because it was there? I mean, what what sparked the uh, the change?
1: Yeah, I was just tired of education, really. Um, I didn't really particularly enjoy my A-levels at all. One little detail that I missed out, like, I'm a real artistic, creative guy. Uh, I loved graffiti growing up. Got into trouble with graffiti growing up. and uh, at, At college, I just decided, like, look... I really didn't enjoy the educational side of it at all. I was doing chemistry, biology, psychology, and PE. And I'd end up like bumming off all of the time and just going hanging out in the, the art labs with my friends who were doing like animation and graphics. Mm-hmm. Like I had this this conflict of wanting to be an artist, but well, I was an artistic kid trapped in a a society that wanted people to be educational based and like straight and narrow, you know, like... Yeah, I wasn't yeah. that type of kid. I was just like kind of restricted. and Graffiti was my outlet at the time. Entrepreneurialism has been co- become my outlet as I've got older.
0: Ah, cool. So was, was there anything that, that triggered you to want to, to start yourself off as a PT?
1: Uh, no, I mean, it was with the, the whole Nissan thing. I went, my dad was a team leader there. So that's why I went there. But it, it got to a point where I just, the monotony of like every single day doing the same thing was too much and I decided to go back to education I was like always passionate about sport went there and finishing my degree I was just like what the hell am I going to do like I applied for a, a, a GTP at the time which was like a teaching qualification mm-hmm. Um, thankfully thankfully I didn't get it and uh, I didn't get accepted to go into teacher training like what am I going to do and a friend of mine was like well I'm, I've been PTing now and it's going real well and making some decent cash and I was kind of motivated to make some money and help some people. And I like, yeah, all right, I'll do some PT for a while until I figure out what I really want to do. Ten years later, still in the industry and still got successful businesses in the fitness industry.
0: Yeah, yeah. So was it, was it something that, that you always did? I mean, did, did you always exercise in a gym or was it mostly football and then you decided to, to go down the fitness road? What was that like?
1: I was playing semi-pro football. Um, I was get like I was always training like since I was like sixteen I've always been training in the gym I used to go with my uncle and stuff, but it got to a point in like my early twenties playing football like I started picking up some injuries and like constant niggles and I was playing through a lot of injuries and I just started like trying to figure out how to like how to overcome them. One of the things I wanted to be before when it, I, I kind of I bummed, bummed out on my A levels I got really good GCSEs like nine A's couple of B's in my GCSEs then right. in my A-levels got like D's and E's because I just I really couldn't be asked at that point point. Mm. and so I wanted to be a physiotherapist that was like the original thing and so after I'd done my degree and around about the time I was doing my degree like getting into strength and conditioning through through that it was really like the the performance side of things was really important to me so in terms of the way that the body moves like how to overcome injuries and things like that so i kind of went down a little rabbit hole in that side and and that was it really as a pt i started doing the same thing it was just i just loved sport loved helping people and it seemed like a natural fit
0: ah excellent so was was there anything that you that you did as a pt Have You got any maybe some interesting stories maybe something that you found that, that helped people the most
1: yeah well um i think you had paul Mort on the show as well
0: i do uh, have yeah yeah
1: yeah myself and paul were business partners for a good few years ah right we had uh 21 boot camps right across the uk and europe We had about fifteen, sixteen hundred 1600 people a month going through our program at the time i guess that was kind of like one of the the bigger things but it near it near killed us both like it, it drained everything out of us you know like it was the beginning of paul i don't know how in depth, he went in the podcast but Paul had a bit of a challenge personally that was kind of the beginning of that for him and like me dealing with the business whilst he was in such a a difficult place was like real tough Mm. so yeah it was just a a, an incredible challenge at that point but yeah I'd say doing that was probably one of my one of the craziest things I was really young in business at the point like really green I guess it was too soon as well for us to like expand that quickly Made a ton of mistakes. Probably would do it entirely different, but appreciate the experience all the same. Mm,
0: Yeah, yeah. Was Was there anything that you would have done differently? You mentioned that you've got lessons and things. Be prepared to share those with us.
1: Yeah, definitely. Selection of people that I work with, and that's like stayed true throughout everything I do. I think if you're a coach or a business owner or anyone listening in, like I always say to people, you don't get sick of the business that you have. You get sick of the people that you work with in that business. And so for a long time, and these people are lovely people, like I have nothing against them, but we had a lot of challenges with our licensees. And it got to a point where there was a lot of conflict. And Paul, like he dipped out of the business for a while. He wasn't well at all, needed some help and support. And like people just seen it as some kind of, they thought that I was trying to buy him out and we were trying to do it in a shady way. It was just, it was a real difficult time for me. And in all honesty, if I reflect back, like we got got as many licensees as we could because we had business aspirations. But when actually, like, looking back and reflecting on it, it was really, yeah, I mean, it was it was the selection of the people that we worked with. Like, we should have been way more stringent on who we onboarded and, and who we decided we could help. Mm, yeah. And, yeah, I think it was, like, kind of ambition overrode my decision-making process at the time. Like, people wanted help. We could help them. But there was just a misfit somewhere.
0: Okay, so, so it was almost like you you went in with the idea of help as many people as you could, and then you realized that maybe it was a lot harder than you thought to do that.
1: Well, it, not just that. I mean, we had some people that were doing great, and we had other people that just they just weren't a fit for it. You know, like they were employees more than they were entrepreneurs, and hmm. so we brought on people who really had to have a an entrepreneurial stance, but they they were more of an employee mindset. That's nothing against them at all. It was just that. The stuff that they needed to do in order to succeed was kind of outside of their their own natural personality, their DNA, if you like.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that that, that, that does kind of make sense because it's it's so hard for for people to really find something that that, that is a fit, I guess, and it, it's kind of down to to them. You know, in terms of the, the customer, but also the person providing the service. I guess to, to be quite clear, when it's not quite right for them, you know. So it does. but it well, the does the thing makes sense.
1: Yeah, the big thing was that like, these people would have mostly been most successful probably if they started their own thing, but they were plugging into. It was, it was kind of, it was a license model, so they licensed all of our systems, our like our workouts, our programs, like all of that stuff, and. I think they expected us to get them clients too, and maybe that was like a big breakdown. But I think sometimes when you like you're leaning back on people, like as an employee, as an example, like you know you're propped up by a salary every month. And I think sometimes it's like an entrepreneur is one of our strongest things. It's like we don't know when we're getting paid next, and it's that kind of like that mild anxiety of like having to make things work to be able to to thrive, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. So wh- wh- why did you decide then to go down the, <clears throat> the the avenue of actually starting your own facility versus going down the, the boot camp model?
1: Uh, we did do boot camp models, so we we did that for ages, like outside, and it was just a natural evolution for me. After the point of the licenses, I decided, look, I'm going to kind of kill that off and um, really focus on my own thing again, and we opened up a gym. It's going great, it's still strong now, but my big passion more recently taken over really through the expansion of the the boot camps and the growth of our business and just naturally has been he's been coaching other people to succeed in business themselves you know most of the marketing side sales marketing and client attraction side like we've been really really successful on that we've grown a seven-figure coaching company doing it and help thousands of people and get to work with hundreds of people a year and. See their significance in terms of the impact that they make their income increase and the amount of freedom that they could command in their life
0: uh, okay yeah so i I must have missed, missed sort of judged the uh, the avenue went so you started off as the the boot camps, and then you transitioned into your own facility that way
1: yeah, that's it, so we we had all uh, the boot right, camp no. locations and then we, yeah. we transitioned into facilities after that, yeah
0: all right, cool, so what what types of, of businesses could could benefit from this idea of having more more leads and things? Because we we, we had a bit of a chat uh, before we went live about the types of coaches that you you tend to work with, and you do work with people that do offer the the higher price point version of coaching. How, how important would you say the, the the amount of leads was versus the the quality of the leads that you're getting?
1: Well, I I mean, dude, it's like turning on a tap. So it depends on what coaching company you have. But we we work with people in the personal coaching space. So mindset, like energy, spirituality, health, performance. And then we also work with people in the business space who are business coaches who help maybe niches of a certain industry. Maybe they had a a niche business in the past and then they, they go and contribute to their industry by helping others develop a business in that industry. Um, and really, we like I said, we work with people who have premium-priced services. Mm-hmm. I'm of the mindset always that um, I want to work with less people, but deeply, rather than creating something that I, I don't believe is going to get changing in people. You know, we we're in a world where there's an abundance of information. People are overwhelmed with it. And I think more importantly as we move forward is the ability to help people navigate that information, right? so much stuff out there so much confusion and so much conflicting evidence if you even spend an hour googling a topic you could find multiple different conflicting things and so what we do is we work with experts who have been able to navigate this and supply the direct solution the blueprint the framework for their clients and help them get killer results and we do it in a way that we understand that certain clients want a premium and they want the support the deep support and they want problem solving so Example, one of our guys, a nutrition coach he has a 16 week nutrition coaching program, helps people with everything from diabetes right through to um, long-term chronic digestive issues and various different diseases and challenges. And these people have had issues for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and he has a premium offering and token premium, we, anywhere between two and 20,000 is typically where we help people generate clients for and he's able to transform his clients' lives through the fact that he can work really deeply with them and get buy in because they're super invested.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean it it definitely seems like a a different type of person then. So how how would you go about distinguishing the, the types of people that would be prepared to invest say the uh the 10,000 pounds or or beyond Mark versus someone that, that can't. There's a certain characteristics of those people. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming there is. I mean, I, I could be completely wrong on that.
1: Well, do you consider this, right? Like, let's say somebody had a two or three grand program. Uh, it really, prices are relevant. It's the size of the journey that somebody has to make. So if, if somebody's coming to you and, and you're an expert and you can solve a really deep problem for that person that's been with them for the majority of their life, And it causes them significant pain and hurt every single day of their life and you're able to work with them very very closely and help overcome that well then that's that's a multiple thousand type of investment like i think people get really held up on it and think you know people need help and and for sure i've been like this in the past like is it really ethical is it this is it that to charge people money to get that here's the thing how many times have those people tried to solve their problem? And they've bought multiple little widgets and things and supplements and 20 pounds here and 30 pounds there, 47 pounds, but never really got the support that they needed. And so my stance on it is like, look, if you look in the medical model, you have people who are general practitioners and they know a bit about everything. You have people who are specialists who know a little bit more about that. And then you have people who are absolute top of the tree, like... They work on one specific thing. There may be a surgeon that works on a specific part of the brain and they're the best in the world at what they do. And they command thousands for what they do because their job is so specialist, because of the amount of training that they go through, the dedication to their craft. And so the type of people that I work with are the type of people who dedicate their life to their craft. In order for them to become the very best at what they can do, they have to command a premium because they can't work with thousands of clients. They can't be the person who's booked solidly back to back to back to back. And so it's not necessarily a financial stance on a client it's more a person who's in a lot of pain and need a lot of help and support and in that help and support yeah it comes at a premium but in comparison to the suffering and the hurt that they're in it's insignificant
0: mm. yeah that definitely comes across i mean it it also gives the impression chris that uh, that that needs to be conveyed or at least communicated somewhat so you mentioned things like um, scaling and, and leads and sales and, and marketing and things I, i'm i'm sort of going off what you said as, as if to say well you need to try and, and communicate that have you got any advice for someone that that maybe is at that point where they, they do want to go down that road but they can't quite communicate it in the right way
1: well yeah i mean let's let's start at the the top and we'll jump in like most coaches in business are completely burned out, broke, and are unable to help anyone because they're unable to financially monetize what they do. And then we look at somebody like a lawyer maybe perhaps, right? and a lawyer is often wealthy, maybe helps people, who knows. And so we have this thing where we think like, because we're, we're coaches and we're serv- services of, of human beings and we have empathy for the suffering and pain of our clients that we shouldn't charge a premium for what we do. And so I think it's a real mindset shift for most, most coaches. Like great coaches, great practitioners, incredibly knowledgeable people are either going out of business or going back to a career that isn't their genius because they don't know how to command that premium and they don't know how to, be, they don't know how to generate the interest in what they do. And so it's that mindset shift that somebody has to go through. Like moving away from a 35 pound session or a 25 pound session with a client and understand that really that doesn't have much impact. You know, single shot sessions here and there, or even one-to-one sessions over a period of 12 weeks. Really, what are you working towards? That person cancels one time, you know, they're not really that invested. They do because they think that that's what they have to do. And if we only look in the personal like personal training industry as a, as an example, it's kind of like that way, right? It's doggy dog Everyone's trying to compete for the same business. And so if you wanted to, to really start to ramp up your business, and I'm talking in terms of you can generate six, multiple six and even seven figures with a coaching business that really impacts people and really changes people's lives and really helps them. It comes from you to command and a premium because at the end of the day, you don't have to work with thousands of people to get results. You just need to work with hundreds. You don't need a million leads a month. You just need a handful of great quality people. And so, I think it's more of a mindset shift for majority of coaches who might be listening, and are like, look, I could never charge that. It's not this, it's not that. My argument for most people is that if you're charging low rates, it's for one reason only you're competing for business and you're actually more money driven than the person who charges a premium because that sale means more to you than anything. Whereas somebody who commands a premium, they're in the mindset of, look, I can't help everyone. I can only help a certain amount of people. I'm here to serve and here to help. If you can't afford what we do, that's totally cool. I'll point you in the right direction. For those that do, let's go deep. That's kind of the mindset that you've got to maintain. So I think it's more of a psychological shift. Before you start generating leads and communicating anything, you have to fully, deeply believe in yourself that what you're doing is the very best thing that you can do to serve the client.
0: Right, so it's almost like the... um, If... If you are like really good at what you do, then it stands to reason that that would correct a lot of the, the mindset shifts step, because obviously if you're really good at what you do and you are really valuable, then you're more likely to at least feel good about charging for your services, because I know there's a couple of people out there that might have the, um, the mindset concerns that, that you mentioned, but everyone tells them that they should be charging a high-end price or or whatever the term is but then they don't quite feel like they're supposed to or that they don't feel comfortable with it but that could all be down to as you say you know to trying to to really master your your craft in order to feel comfortable about doing those things because it kind of at least seems to me like it swings in roundabouts like you can't you can't go deep and do a high-quality service for like 50 people every single week.
1: Well, yeah, it's... well, consider the, consider the coach who speaks to 10 people per day and spends an hour with them every day. Like, if you've got 10 one-to-one sessions in a day, does the first client of the day get the same experience as the last client? I argue that they don't. And so we have an inhibitory factor coming into it where we're actually doing people a disservice because we're so burnt out and overworked. And so it's really, yeah, the the premium allows you leverage in terms of your time and your expertise and allows you to to reinvest in yourself to become better and better and better. And, And it's that knife's edge of difference. And most people have the ability to go out and do this. They're afraid to charge more because they're worried that they'll get no clients. And their sole motive is to pay the bills every month. Where I often believe that people who charge a premium, like they truly believe in what they do. They're ultra committed to their clients. And they're committed to their craft as well. They want to be the very best person that they can be, and the best in the world at what they do.
0: So, what 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 would you actually like say to coaches? And if, if you if you could give them like a a top three or or top five for them that, that maybe are at that point that perhaps it is affecting the service. You know, as you say, the, the first client that you have when you're full of focus and energy you might not get the same, the same service or the same benefit or even the same coach as the 10th the person in that day. So how if, if they're in that position, how, how would they actually go about making that shift themselves?
1: Well, number one, obviously they've got to understand the value of what they provide. Most people think that the value they bring is the time, right? So I have a belief that Number one, like our time is our most valued asset, right? We know that. It's, it's perishable. It never comes back. And so it's our most valued asset. But then when we flip it and we look at it and understand, like it's not what makes our service valuable. So most people bill per their time because that's the most valuable asset that they have. So they put a monetary value on it. And this creates a problem in the fact that it's not scalable whatsoever. It has a, a ceiling and a cap. So the very first thing to understand is that it's not the time that you bring to the conversation that makes you valuable. It's the shift that you bring. And I call this the trajectory shift. So if somebody's on a dark path in their life and they're headed for death and destruction in terms of like their own mental well-being, right? Their mind is in a a real hole. And you're a mindset coach, for example, and you're able to knock somebody 1% in the right direction, like every single time you work with them and you work with them for, say, 12 or 16 weeks. They don't just receive your benefit for 12 or 16 weeks. They'll receive your benefit for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So what is that really worth? Is that really worth the one-to-one time that you spend with somebody? No. And so you have to get people invested enough in order to make that happen. And that just doesn't happen from single shop per hour sessions. Number two, I believe that the size of which the problem you solve determines the price of which you command. And so if you're somebody who is in a situation where, I don't know, I say you're a shop clerk and the biggest problem that you solve every day is trying to find the right size for a customer. Well, of course, you're going to get minimum wage because you're not really solving any big problem in life, right? You're doing a commoditized job, a commoditized role. And so the bigger the problem you solve, the more you get paid. And imagine this for an example. There is a, there's a meteor heading towards Earth. And it's set for collision and it's a devastating collision. It it, it ends humanity forever, okay? And there's one man on the planet who has the ability to stop this from happening. He has the, the only person on the planet who has the technology, he has the ability, nobody else can do it. He has the solution. How much does that man get paid? infinite amounts right everybody on the planet probably whips out their wallet and gives the man money and so even if that task takes him in mind like a a small time like an hour to perform the impact of which his task had is huge so we've got to get away from providing our value based on what we do but more how we help the prospect solve a big problem the third principle that I want you to understand is that the more specific the problem, the more in, de- in demand we become. So if we look at this, look at a surgeon, for example. Let's say you've got a like a, a GP, and you've got I don't know what the the hierarchy is of surgeons, but let's say you've got like a, a general surgeon, you've got a knee specialist, and then you've got a an MCL specialist, right? Hmm. The more specific the surgeon, the more they get paid, right? So even from the point of which they go to an individual piece of the knee that they fix, they get paid more than the general surgeon who might just scrape a bit of the meniscus off, right? Like that's what you've got to understand. So it's solve a giant problem in someone's life and solve a more specific problem. And that's how you command more money in terms of what you do. And that's how you become more in demand
0: okay well i mean just just being a little bit of uh i mean i'm not going to say skeptic i'm going to say i'm going to be the devil's advocate now chris so Mm -hmm. it sounds from from people that might be listening to this they might be thinking well surely that actually implies that you're doing less work while commanding uh, a higher fee for for their service so what, what what would you say to that
1: Dude, the work isn't what you get paid for. Simple. Like, if somebody's for death and just, like, let's say we have somebody who's suicidal, right? And they're really suicidal. Genuinely suicidal. Mm -hmm. And we got somebody like Tony Robbins who can spend 20 minutes with that person in an intervention And he he openly says he never lost a suicide. He says he never will. Like he said, he said that not that he never will. He might at one day, but up until this point, he never has. So Tony Robbins, let's say he solves that problem in twenty minutes, and somebody else it take with a therapist and a counselor for three years. Like who's more valuable? If the counselor has been there for three years, done a whole lot of work, yet that person is still suicidal. Versus somebody who can spend twenty minutes with somebody and get them out of that mindset and change their life dramatically forever. Who should be paid more?
0: Yeah, I mean, hopefully, people that listen to this, it would be the uh, the person that can solve the problem in in the less time. So this this does imply then that the speed of the result is also a factor in terms of how much that you're you're valued and how much that you would charge how how does the, the idea of, of time come into it
1: well it, it's huge it's hugely important right like let's say you've got a leak in your roof right do you want mm-hmm. the guy that fixes it fast or do you want the guy that fixes
0: it slow yeah I you know it, it it makes perfect sense. Obviously, I'm just trying to just, just trying to paint the picture here for the the listeners more than anything else, Chris. It just it's just trying to to outline that there are there are some things that do have to play a part. Like if if it, if it takes you a long time to get the result that it might take, it might take someone a day to get the same result. They're obviously going to be charged more you have because in, they're able you have to, to get there oh, quicker.
1: Yeah. If so, like, let's say, for example, like you're lying on the floor, you're bleeding and like there is two options. You've, you phone an ambulance and you've got a, a public care ambulance and it might be there in like three hours, right? <laughs> like you're bleeding here <laughs> and then you've got a privatized ambulance where you can pay 2000 pound and it will be there in like three minutes, right? Let's just create a hypothetical situation. Well, of course, you're not going to pay for the thing that's going to take 10 times longer. The same, like if, if your product or your service requires somebody to get six months to get the same outcome that somebody else can get in eight weeks, then guess what? You have an inferior product or service. So it doesn't matter how much marketing you apply to it. It doesn't matter how good of a coach you are. If your outcome is, is produced in significantly more time than a competitor, then you don't have competitive advantage. All you have is the, the ability to compete on price. So you become the cheapest, the most commoditized, and you have a race to the bottom. Because if you've competing on price, then you're in a crabs in the bucket.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, well, how how would you decide then when you are ready, in fact, to actually go down the, the lead generation route then? Is it simply a case of once you've got all this figured out, then you can start going down that road? Or is there a certain point where you then decide right okay I I, I do need to go down the, the lead generation route if I'm going to make this this work even more effectively
1: well leads are the lifeline of any business so I don't think it's a decision you make if you're in business you need leads it's something that you've just got to accept that it's part of part and parcel of what you do and so if you don't focus on lead generation you've got a business you're going to either be stagnant or go out of business pretty quick especially in the digital age and in the modern day you know like Things are moving so quickly and people are exposed to so many different competitors of yours. If you don't move fast and you don't make it a priority, then in three years time, five years time, 10 years time, you're going to be irrelevant. And unfortunately, that means that you'll likely either go out of business or have to go and supplement your income through other, other means. So I don't think it's a decision people have got to make. I think it's, a, it's an absolute necessity that people have to make to get, to get leads in their business.
0: Yeah, definitely. Have you noticed any any particular common themes then amongst uh, the 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 coaching businesses that you work with? In terms of it, could be could be one key thing that's that's able to help all those get more leads and and, and go down that particular road, or anything that of note that you think you'd be uh, prepared to share with us.
1: Yeah, like paid social digital is the thing, right? So, like, if you're not paying for ads, and you want to grow your business, then it's going to go slow. Quite honestly, so paid traffic is the number one thing that's going to get you clients in fast. Doesn't matter what the platform is, whether that's Facebook, YouTube, Google, um, Instagram. It could be any of any platform. LinkedIn. The thing, the ability to buy traffic has never been easier. And by traffic, I mean people to get your their eyes on your thing. And the ability to put your message in front of people has never been easier. And so you can do it two ways. You can have a slow, long, drawn-out process where you're blogging every day, you're writing social posts, and you're not really getting in front of the right people or the right audience at the right time. Or you can pay to put your, like, a laser-targeted message in front of your dream prospects daily and have that run on autopilot. So literally for me, it's like I spend X amount a day and I produce X amount of leads per day. Out of those leads, we'll convert a percentage of them, and that's kind of how we run our business. It's a, it's a systematic approach to really growing. And I think if you're if you're a coach, there's well, there's two types of people that I get to work with. Number one, the people who moan and complain, and they're like, uh, kind of like victimized with with what they do, like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pay money for ads. I'm not going to do this, that, and the other. And then there's the other who are really ambitious and they're really driven to get the message in front of people. So I know I'm talking about money a lot today and like premium price, but that's, let's say the, the after thing that my belief is that a premium price is the most valuable thing to the prospect. And in order to provide the service and value that you give, a premium must be commanded. And so in my experience, those that charge the least are actually doing themselves and their prospects an inhibitory, like it's inhibiting their growth and impact because they're not able to reach the people that they could help. So if you had the ability to put your message in front of millions of people and it could change their lives, like why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it It just sort of sparked a thought in, in me as well that um, if if you decide to work with someone that there might not be uh let's just say the the best fit for you <clears throat> then mm-hmm. you are you're also not working with someone that, that that could be the best fit for you so it's almost like exactly if, if you're saying yes to things that you probably shouldn't do then you're also saying no to things that you probably should be doing
1: well and here's the thing and that happens and stems from the fact that most coaches who don't advertise for their services in the right way have to take business that they don't want to because they have to eat and survive And so we have this this dichotomy of coaches who acquire clients over time. Just they pick them up through any means possible, referral, social, whatever it might be. And any client that comes their way with a wallet and a pulse and an ability to buy, they take on board. Whereas if if you even mildly understand who your dream prospect is and you don't waver on that and you only accept people who fit within that demographic, your life will be much better. Your results will be 10x for your clients and your energy will be incredible one of the big things for me this year was energy preservation like that's my number one thing and so I'm very in tune with what I say yes to and what I say no to and so I have in front of me right now I have some notes a a consultation that I had on Friday and immediately when we started getting into some of the strategies that we have I could 100% help this person she 100% needed my help she would have benefited tenfold from my help so would her prospects she would have been able to help hundreds of thousands of more people over time and yet she's very resistant to the idea so I make a note throughout that call I'm like this person's hard work and they're going to be resistant so they're not a fit like that's okay we'll shake hands remain friends and I'll pass them in a direction of somebody who might be able to help and so I'm very very committed to only working with the people that number one I I can 100% help Number two, that bring me joy. Number three, that preserve my energy. And number four, that are going to be a pleasure to work with.
0: If almost listening to this, I mean, it, it definitely comes across at least... Uh, to me that it does put you in in quite a good position. But if we were to, to flip the corner a little bit, a lot of people might actually be surprised that you actually say no to people that want your business. But then everything that we've spoken about beforehand actually mm-hmm. puts you in a position where you can do those things. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't really want to have the the conversation of okay, well what, what what would you say to, to the people that are surprised that you do say no to to business because we've kind of gone through things previously in our in our chat chris that uh that tends yeah. to prevent those things from happening
1: i can wrap that in like 30 seconds it's it's literally like why would you ever take money off somebody who number one is going to drain you number two that you don't particularly vibe with and number three that you can't help
0: yeah yeah no i i would I would completely agree with that i mean it, particularly if if you're going down the the realm of coaching it does put you in a position whereby you need to ask yourself who can you help in the best possible way you know because mm-hmm. are a, yeah. if, if, if yeah if, if we are at a point where we are going to charge a lot, we are going to help people in, in the deepest possible way that does Kind of go hand in hand with the fact that you're not going to be able to help everybody in that way, just because not everyone wants that thing. You know, not everyone wants to be helped in that particular way.
1: So I had a conversation with a guy from uh, Nevada the other day, in and chatting to him, and he's like, "For 20 years, I've had a brick and mortar um, coaching practice. I'm a certified hypnotherapist, and I can help every person who walks through the door." And he was like, "Whilst I understand that's good for my brick and mortar practice, where I've got local." business that I'm competing for, like globally, it's like, is like there's 75% of the people that I just wouldn't work with at all. And so what you've got to understand is that if you're on a local market and you're only working in a local market, then of course, you're going to be limited to the types of people that you can attract and work with. One of the big things that we help people do is like they either go national or global. And so they have the ability to work with people from right around the world. And quite honestly, there are 300 million people in America there are 60 million people in the UK and the average coach, if they charge, well, if they charge five grand, they need hundred clients to make half a million in a year. And so when you consider the numbers of just in America and the UK, 360 million or 400 million people, well, then you suddenly start to see that the odds are stacked in your own favor. It comes back to, you can't be everything to everyone, but you can be everything to someone. And that's what you've really got to understand. Is like the more specific the problem you solve, the more in demand you become. Like if you try to be a coach who helps everybody or like a multitude of different people, then you're a commodity because that's what other people do too. And no more than in the personal training industry, you'll see that I do fat loss, strength and condition. I do sports specific injury rehab. And all that you're telling people is that I'm, I'm jack of all, master of none, you know? And so the more specific you get the more if you become everything to someone and you become their world and you solve their problem that person is infinitely grateful forever and you're able to build a system and a process and a blueprint around it if you're working with 10 or 12 or 15 different types of people from different walks of life it's very difficult for you to systemize and predict the outcomes that you can generate for
0: people yeah for sure I mean it's I, I actually quite like the um, the well statement that you gave before about that you can 't be everything to everyone but you can be everything to someone and
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's if anything that that does encompass everything that we 've spoken about, <coughs> excuse me because if you are everything to someone then you 're able to help them in that deeper way, and it does it doesn 't lend itself over to this ability to to help everyone that walks through the door and if I'm being perfectly honest with you Chris I was quite surprised that you had that conversation with the hypnotherapist and said oh I can help everyone that walks through the door. I guess you had a bit of a, an no, eye his, roll his, moment. No,
1: his, his frustration was that that was his problem like he didn't want to do that anymore like he'd helped uh, okay. everybody that had walked through the door for a long time he wanted to take his practice digital and he wanted to help people with this very, very specific problem that he'd worked with that was like his dream client over the years. So that's the the thing. Like if you're in a local market and you're, you're constantly trying to like, let's say you're a business coach, for example. You're in a local market and you're working with like businesses that you meet in a networking event, right? It gets very boring very quickly because what you realize mostly in your local area, there's not that many people that are aspirational. Like there really isn't. I've been in networking events and... Whilst they're they're, they're good people, like I don't want you to think that I'm I'm making judgment of people. I love people. Like every part of my every day is people. And Mm. I come from a a very non-judgmental stance. What I'm saying is that the type of people that you want to work with, that energize you, pick you up and lift you up and like really drive your impact in life likely aren't just in your local demographic. And so... The one thing that you can understand is that if you can help a very specific type of client, you become the world best at that one thing
0: yeah, for sure definitely yeah it's, it's hard to it's hard to disagree with the logic, Chris, if I'm being honest um, <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's having, it's having that that, man, that mindset shift that you mentioned at the beginning in, in order to actually put to put all that in practice, it's, it, sounds, it sounds a little redundant if you don't have that shift first. Like you're always going to be in a position whereby you start to, you start, I, I don't want to say sabotage it, but you do start to make life very difficult for yourself. It's a, yep. For want of a better expression, at least.
1: Totally. And I, I can tell you a story that like, will really put this to point as well. When I was a personal trainer working in a health club, I had this client and she was, she was fairly successful in the NHS. She was fairly high up at the time. I was just a young PT and it was just really abrasive. The relationship I had with her, like she was really resistant to what I was suggesting that you do. Um, she was really like, like antagonistic all of the time. And it got to the point where I was like, well, I don't think I can help you. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to suggest. I'm suggesting this, you're resistant. I'm suggesting this, you're rebuting it. I'm suggesting this, you're not following through. You cancel the last minute. I'm like, I don't think I can take you as a client anymore. And, um, <laughs> I handed her back her money and she threw the envelope at me. The money went all over the gym and she was like, it's clear that you need this more than me. And just walked off. And that was the last day I ever seen of her. And, hmm. I like vowed to myself that day. I'm like, look, I will never, ever, ever accept another client into my life that number one will make me feel like I can be bought. Number two, that it's okay for somebody to treat me that way. And number three, honestly, that. It's far less heartache and drama to work with people that actually appreciate you than it is to take on any client because they can afford to pay you.
0: Yeah, I, I guess it does. It, it does really hit home when when we actually start having those those types of conversations with ourselves and start putting ourselves in those positions and. I guess it is, it is. more about what you take from it to allow yourself to move forwards. I guess it's having that. It's having that ability to to put yourself in a position that, that does actually benefit you and and allows totally. you to make those right decisions.
1: Well, just consider it as well. Like I, I'm, I'm a father of two. I'm getting married in like 11 weeks' time um, to my beautiful fiance. I spend a third of my life at work. I spend a third of my life asleep and a third of my life at home. Like, if I'm going to spend a third of my life away from my family and kids, like, it better, it better damn be worth it, you know? In terms of, not just monetarily, like, there are coaches who might not have the aspirations that I have in business, a so multiple million a year company. Like, You might not have that aspiration, but what you might have the aspiration of is working with a select few clients that really energize you, lift you up, and you go home feeling like you've done great work instead of going home feeling like I did that day with the client who threw the money at me, You know, like I was some kind of hoe that you could just buy. And so really what I want you to understand, it's really about understanding the value that you bring, but understanding that there there are people out there that really appreciate what you do. And you don't have to work with anyone that comes along and you don't have to take someone's money just because they offer it. You don't have to become like, take someone as a client because they can afford you. And like, uh, and people might be thinking, well, you know what, to charge a premium, you need wealthy clients. In fact, some of the wealthy clients that I've had have been absolute nightmares. Some of the people that have been able to, aff- like not being able to really afford me have been some of my best clients and have been able to get them the best results because they've really worked hard to break through. And so... Like money is not the only factor that decides whether someone gets to work with me or not. And I empower you to do the same. Like have a stance, have some values and have some confidence in yourself to like step up and understand like who can you help and specifically who can't you. So one of the first things we do with coaches is like we make a list of avoid at all costs. And so we have one list of avoid at all costs and one list is dream clients. And of course, we're not going to get every client to be the absolute perfect epitome of it. But if we know that that's what we're driven towards, and those are the type of people that we want to work with, then we can communicate everything in what we do towards that person. And if we know this is who we want to avoid, if we ever get into a conversation with somebody that becomes a potential client, we just got to let them down gently and say, hey, look, um, I can see that you've got a real challenge. I can see that you need some help. I don't think I'm the right person for you. Here's X, Y, Z. I think they would be a great help for you. And so we're actually being a service to somebody by pointing them in a different direction, knowing that someone out there—that's their dream client.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's something that I would, I would completely agree with. It definitely brings to light a lot of the things that we've that we've spoken about, and I do like the way that um, do like the way. it kind of encompasses everything if if you take it what, one level deeper from what you 've said, it does bring about a lot of the things that that we have spoken about chris so just before we we finish, so we are almost we 're almost there almost out of time and um I thought we would get into a, a bit of um a, a bit a bit of a light round, so to speak, so so quick fire question, see what to see what answers you can come up with and then we'll, we'll end on our, on our final question alright Chris Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the, the first one would be if you got any books that you would recommend to, to our listeners if, if they wanted to find out more about the things that we've spoken about
1: um, top of my head this isn't really anything to do with what we spoke about but it kind of is <laughs> um, Psycho Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz he was a plastic surgeon who uh, was working with a bunch of clients who wanted surgery. He realized although he'd fix the situation, like he'd give them a nose job or whatever, the patient would still look in the mirror and see their old self. And so what he realized was that there's actually something more to play than just doing surgery. This, it must be a psychological issue. He started going into psychology, understanding that we have something called a self-image and that is often reflected back to us, not the actual reality because he showed them before and after pictures. He was like, there's a clear difference. They're like, I can't see it. And so he actually went down a rabbit hole of psychology and um, at, later in his career, he actually refused to do surgery with people and he spent his majority of his time uh, working with people to change their self-image and often that would solve the their patient's problem. He wouldn't have to do surgery, just change how they they seen themselves. So that's a great way of like really understanding about your self-image. And if you want to attract premium clients, you've got to change the way that you think about yourself and who you are and the confidence in yourself to go out there and actually become the prize. I tell my clients that you're the prize. You've worked your ass off all your life to be that way. Don't become the commodity.
0: All right. So next one would be to have like, um, resources or apps for i mean we can make it quite specific in terms of for coaches as well um, mm-hmm. to, to help them with with their businesses or all well, that side of things
1: uh, apps resources i don 't know but i uh, I use this thing let me't it 's called a tracker pro, and what I do is this is just a good thing for like anybody to, to try, right? tracker Pro. Basically, you can create a list of the tasks that you do every day, right? It might be like creating content. It might be coaching clients. It might be reading, studying, meditating, journaling, whatever it is. And you can basically time everything. And so for a bunch of our clients, what I get them to do is like every, say, every six or eight weeks I get them to track their activity every single step of what they do every week at the end of the week you can break it down in like a pie chart and you can start to see where you spent the majority of your time and if you're really disciplined with it and you're really driven towards doing it you'll see like there's so much bullshit that you're spending your time on every day that you can just cut out and be like infinitely more productive so it's one of the things that I like to do on a regular basis
0: All right, awesome it's kind of
1: a general thing
0: yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I can definitely see. I mean, there's so many, so many people listening that they might be in a position whereby they think they're being productive, but it just gives them the uh, the information that they need to to make better decisions. I guess along those lines. Uh, before totally. we, we ask our last question, Chris, um, if someone wants to find out more about you, and, and what you're up to, where can they go?
1: Uh, they can go to theleveragedcoach.com. So that's the leveragedcoach.com. You'll see we have a free workshop there. There's tons of value in it, nothing for sale in it at all. You can go and check it out. It will give you a much deeper understanding on some of the stuff that we've talked about today.
0: All right, cool. And for our last question, so we've had, we've had a lot of varied and, and vast array of answers, Chris, so we, we can blow the, uh, the whole wide open on this one. And it's, what mm-hmm. would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy question. Yes, I guess yeah. that um, <laughs> about me, I think here's one thing I'll say, right? Like I think somebody, some people have like miscommunicated or misunderstood my communication in the past thinking like I'm very money-driven about stuff. And that could definitely come across to some people today in the, um, in the training in terms of like, look, premium price is the way to go. Like charge your clients more, give a better service. Some people might be thinking, well, that's just the money-driven way. And actually, like what I'd love people to understand is that money is important to me, but it doesn't sit higher than impact. And my ability to change people's lives, like I'm there for my clients a million percent. And hopefully they can all attest to that. I mean, pretty sure they will. And I often put myself in other situations. So although you might be listening to this today thinking, ah, this is, this is not relevant to me, understand that everything that I come from, this whole situation is in my drive, to understand that if I can help five people a day work with 20 clients and absolutely change the trajectory of their life, then I played a small little part in a 100 people's lives changing, you know? And that's my thing. Like, I'm super mission-driven, purpose-driven, and uh, impact-driven. So. All
0: So, right, Chris. Well, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. I really appreciate you being on, and uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll speak again soon.
1: Yeah, appreciate you having me on, my man. It's been a pleasure.